Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's Thursday night, and you know what that means. One hour of commercial-free NVL. They just like with a cup of tea, like, you're right, lads. Oh, man, you guys are amazing. The contract, like, 91, Dan. Marino. Yes! Okay, okay. Total, Total one. There it is. Back-to-back world champs, 1776. Just really take advantage of you guys ever since then. <laughs> so let's talk about you getting dominated by Jadavian Clowney. Um, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the coolest f***ing interview I've ever had. Don't say that when we're not recording. <laughs> hey, everyone. Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. Mr. 108, Colby Jones. I'm Jeff Garcia. My name is Tom Bahali. My name is Roberto Guayo. Hey, everybody. I'm Maurice Jones. Drew. I'm Jalen Mills. My name is Taylor Lewan. Jack Bradley, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you watching the NBL Show. And you've been listening to the NBL Show. NBL Show. The NBL Show. You're listening to the NBL Show. David Bakhtiari. That's so good. That's not the answer I had, but that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Hi guys, I'm FL Bada and you're watching the N- NVL. No, I'm gonna do that again. Nailed it. No, that was perfect. <laughs> no, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined today not by Hugh, I'm doing this one alone, but by someone that you all know, that's close to your heart, that is an NVL legend. Um, we had Ryan Leaf on, so you're thinking, who could it be? Ladies and gentlemen, star of the NVL throwbacks and also one of the greatest Oklahoma Sooners defensive linemen and Chicago Bears players ever, Mr. Tommy Harris. How are you doing, sir? I'm fantastic, bro. We had a nice conversation, Tommy and I, on the way to where he is now, which is in the coffee shop, where I was giving him the background on the NVL throwbacks and his excellent effort in our push to the playoffs, which was unfortunately denied by Rex Grossman, as so many of Tommy's victories were. No offense. <laughs> um, and also, if you don't know about Tommy Harris's history and story, then um, you should get to know, because it is one of the most incredible ones in all of the NFL, I think. And I think it's only fitting that he come on the show for this episode, uh, a special episode, as you'll see later, to talk about uh, some of the havoc that he wreaked during his college and NFL playing days. So, Tommy, let's go back. In fact, let's start close to home. Have you watched the video of you sacking Jeff Garcia from the NVL show that I sent you? No, I have not uh, watched it yet, but I did hear you watch it, and I'm familiar with that video. I've been looking for years for that video, man, and that's crazy, too. I can't wait to check it out. I'm just kind of excited. I want to watch it with my son. He think I'm lying. I've been telling him about that. I said, I hit someone so hard in it, they took it down, man. Yeah, right. Yeah, they took the video down. <laughs> and and un- I didn't know this, which is a testament to Hugh's effort to find the video to just include in the show. But Tommy's been searching for the video that we have in the Jeff Garcia episode of him destroying Jeff Garcia, um, which, I mean, was part of the course for you, really, Tommy, throughout your career, because, you know, Oklahoma soon is where it all kind of began in terms of you coming into the public consciousness. Bob Stoops team, you played there 01 to 03, the man credited with revitalizing the Oklahoma Sooners uh, history in NCAA. And you made a difference from your first snap on the field, sir. Yes, sir. As a rookie, a uh, freshman. I think that was against North Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina. It was. Uh, Tar Heels, first snap of the game. It was a Friday night football. Yeah, I remember Julius Peppers had a good game uh, game too. Well, good for Julius Peppers. But what you see, if you watch the <laughs> broadcast back, is seconds before the first snap of the game, they say 
Oklahoma Sooners are very excited about this young freshman named Tommy Harris. There's a new sheriff in town. They exactly. And yeah. what happens? First sack, you threw aside a two and a half year starting center senior, like I throw aside a shower curtain, and you crushed Willie Parker in the backfield for a loss of four yards. Second snap, they're like, oh, Dear, this is going to be a big game. Let's double this new guy. They double you, and what happens? The rest of the team turn up and take the sack. And I think those two snaps epitomize your career because either teams were in trouble against you or they were stopping you, and the rest of your team was getting them in trouble. Yes, sir. Would, you, would you agree with that? Yeah, that, that's the whole thing of our defense as the under tackle. Either my whole motto every game was either to make the play or disrupt the blocking scheme. There was no other option for me. Either I'm making a play or I'm disrupting the play. That was yeah. it. And I mean, you did that. I mean, first year, defensive freshman of the year for the Big 12, second year, consensus All-American for the first time. And the third year, you played um, Lombardi Award. And I believe you're still the only Oklahoma Sooner lineman to have received that. Is that correct? No. Um, two. I think Tony Casillas got one. Oh, bloody, bloody Tony Casillas really. Yeah, I think Tony Casillas has one. Or he probably, I don't know if he, I want to say he won it, but he he might have been up 40. I want to say he won it, though. I think Tony Casillas. I think won. you're being nice because you got nominated two years in a row and you won it in your final year. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with my fact because it makes you look better. I got you. Okay. And I. <laughs> And, and that's the opposite of what you did to the rest of your team throughout your career. You made them look better. I got you. Um, you know, you were a college player that came out of college. You ran an unofficial at Oklahoma 4.6840 as a 295-pound defensive lineman. Mm -hmm. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I think that combination of your quick feet plus your upper body strength is the reason that you managed to dominate in the interior in that level. Because your first step, no one was faster than you on that first step. And then your upper body lent that anyone that was coming against you, you could get under their pads and you could have your way with them. And you did that for years. Yes, sir. Enjoy doing it. <laughs> I, think, I think the greatest thing, uh, the, well, not the greatest thing, but the, my special gift was just anticipating snap count, getting off the ball. That's it. I was a little guy, undersized guy, but I tried to play like a grenade, small but powerful. Yeah, and I, I think you did that. And I mean, it was uh, a testament to your efforts um, that you achieved the accolades you did with Oklahoma. They went to, I think they went to bowl games every year you were there. I think you, you lost the Natty against LSU your final year, I think, which was a shame, but it didn't affect your draft stock going into 2004. The year of the NVL throwbacks draft... Obviously, in this uh, building, we love the 2006 draft because Bodrick Bunkley got drafted. I'm not going to go into that. But 2004 was a great year because, I mean, obviously, it was the year that Eli kicked up a fuss. But a very, very stacked draft class of which you were the 14th player off the board to the Chicago Bears alongside NVL throwback legends such as the GOAT Sean Taylor, D'Angelo Hall, yeah. Vince, exactly, rest in bloody peace, Vince Wilfork, Chris Gamble, Snake Eyes Gamble, Julius Jones, 
give the dog a Jones and Davery Henderson one of the Sons of Anaheim. You don't know who any of those players are combined, but we made them into the greatest team featuring you anchoring the defensive line and we almost made it to the playoffs. We're not going to go into what happened. You didn't let the team down. Someone else did named Willie, but it's fine. Let's talk about that draft, right? Going in 2004, New York City, Radio City Musical, I think is going on at that point. How's that for you? Talk, talk to me about that experience. Well, to be honest with you, I turn all that down. So my my draft day, I, I spent it at home with my community. And I enjoy, I let uh, all the younger kids uh, that I was mentoring or helping out, coaches uh, that helped me along the way, principals, teachers, pastors, uh, the, the janitor, the cleaning person, the food for I wanted everyone that, that touched my life to be a part of. They had something to do with me getting drafted. So we just did a big event at my hometown. I stayed home. I probably should have known that, to be honest. But good. I'm glad that you said it because, I mean, that is insanely selfless. Mm. Um, you know, again, a character attribute that I'd, I'd equip to your football career um you know helping others look good but yeah i think that's definitely something that in the research i've done has been a constant in your life and then chicago take you so the new the lovey smith era coming into a tampa two defense you know you're a three technique it works well for you did you enjoy going to chicago is that the place where you were like okay that's that seems like a good fit for me not at all you know um uh, I wasn't excited. I was excited to go to Chicago uh, to be off the boards, but I thought I was going to Atlanta or the worst case scenario, I was going to Houston Jackson's at 10. Atlanta at eight. I think Atlanta ended up taking D'Angelo Hall and at 10, they ended up taking Dante Robinson, Texas. And then I was the first D tackle taken off the board at 14. And if I didn't go then, I was going to go to Tampa 15. But Chicago, man, I didn't know anything about Chicago, but Kanye was from there and Michael Jordan was there. And then they had a lot of shootings going on. So I didn't know what to think. <laughs> and then I couldn't stand, I couldn't stand cold weather. I wanted to be either in a dome or play in the sun, being from Texas. But Chicago was a whole different way of rushing the past. Yeah, you got neither of those. <laughs> you got the opposite of a dome yeah. in the sun in Chicago. It's been called skiing, ski pass in Russian. That's what it felt like. You were skiing <laughs> after a certain part of the year. It just felt like you were sliding everywhere in the field. I mean, I've heard some stories about, um, and I and I couldn't find any proof of this, but I've seen some things about how you would mislead reporters about what you were up to during your off-season workouts when you first got driving. Can you tell me what you, what those stories are? Because I couldn't find any evidence online. Kind of like your sack. Uh, yeah, they said they were, uh, they used to call me out the time wondering where I was at. I'd tell them I was training and living off the land, up in the mountains, <laughs> pulling buffaloes and, and chasing bobcats. But I just couldn't stand that part of the sport. Like, I, I'm here to play football. I'm not here to do all this talking. So I just had fun with those those guys. They really didn't care. They just needed something to write. Mm. Yeah, I mean, as uh, Marshawn Lynch famously, you know, is is very averse to reporters, but it's 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 a part of the game that you know I think uh, players don't want to have to deal with as much as they have to. Like you said, I can't imagine any situation where I've either just been beaten or I'm ecstatic 
and then I have to measure my response to reporters that I know is going to get spread over the world. Yeah. Right now, like, right, you got to do it right now. I'm sorry, you just been knocked out. So how do you feel right now? You got to, you got to come up with something good to say right now. Yeah. I just been knocked out. <laughs> you got blood coming out of your face. Well, oh, I had a good time out here tonight. And what do you want me to say? You know? Yeah. So it's just, Jeff, how it's do you just, feel being quarterback for the Lions getting smashed by Tommy Your Harris? head is still on your shoulders. We thought you lost it. <laughs> But don't say anything controversial. Right. Or we'll fine you. Mm. Yeah, no, hard. I mean, it's it's interesting how you can uh, create men built for battle, but then expect them also to be reporters as well. You know, yeah. you'd never, you know, you, you're being trained from such an early age to be seek and destroy missiles and to, to be gladiators. And, you know, I don't think that in Roman times, the gladiators got interviewed seconds after, you know, killing a load of tigers. Like, well, how are you feeling today, Julius? You know, I just don't think it happened. I don't know why the, well, I do know why it's because of money, but they shouldn't, they shouldn't have to do that. In my opinion, if people don't want to do interviews, they shouldn't do interviews. And that's why Tommy's doing this one now. Right on. So let's talk about Chicago, right? You have a great rookie season. Um, I think second in um, voting for defensive rookie of the year. Yeah. Um, I lost to Jonathan Vilma. Yes, you did. He was taken, I think, one pick before you in the draft as well. Mm-hmm. Um, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> um, but forget Jonathan Vilma because... You know, you added something to that defense. And this is a Chicago defense. We're talking Lance Briggs, Brian Erlacher, Peanut Tillman's in there. You know, like Ooh, the boys are bad. One of the most stacked Chicago defenses yeah, since the 85 Bears. Yeah. And you balled out. Like, let's be honest, Pro Bowl 05, 06, 07. But the, the season that I think best sums it up is the Super Bowl run season, 06, 07, right? Because you started that season hot, right? Four games, five sacks, you know? I think NFC defensive player, NFC player of the week, two weeks in a row. And then teams started to be like, okay, we need to shut him down. Mm -hmm. But that didn't really work because you got Lance Briggs and Brian Erlacher and everyone else coming in to clean up the double teams that they put on you. So Chicago still, up until week 12, maintains opponents under 12.5 points per game, averages, I think, 3.5 turnovers per game. This is while you're in the starting lineup. Then Minnesota comes around. You win the game. You're 10-2, and two, but you injure, you injure your hamstring. Yeah. At the time, did you understand the impact that that was going to have on the rest of the season? No question, man. Like, you know, <laughs> dude... I, I, I pretty much knew, like, we we had the perfect combination, you know, between Peanut with the with the turnover, the Peanut punch, Lance Briggs mm-hmm. uh, taking out the run, Brian Erlacher covering the seams, Hunter Hillemeyer uh, keeping the <clears throat> keeping the uh, containment, uh, shoot. Alex Brown, Otto Wallet, man, we had we had everybody, Tank Johnson. So, so pretty much, yeah. like if 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 I didn't get to the quarterback, bro, everything would be exposed on that on that defense. 
you know what I'm saying? But to see them go to that next level without me, that was a great thing to, like, that was great to see. Tank stepping up. Everybody played the lights out to get to finish the rest of those games to get to the playoffs. But that was tough. I know Peyton Manning wouldn't run a stretch if I was playing in the Super Bowl. That would have I would have took his hand off. I mean that. Well, there you go. I mean, and that is the argument that I think is easy to make, and I think any Bears fan with a modicum of understanding of that season would agree. Even though I'm not a Bears fan, but you managed to beat the Saints in divisional. But after that, you couldn't hold teams from scoring on you, and they did step up and they got to the Super Bowl, but. You guys were letting points past you on offense that you weren't doing up until the point you got injured. Yeah. You know? And yes, they made it to the Super Bowl, yeah. And, you know, it was it was a close game. But I think if you'd been playing and disrupting that interior, it, it wouldn't have been... If you look back at half of the plays that got made by Peyton's arm, the time he had, you know, the runs, all of those things, you can count half of them out. You know, and then you take half the points off the board and then it's a different story. Yes, sir. You know, you got to watch that game, I'm guessing, from a box. I watched from the sideline with Mike Brown. Me and Mike Brown were both cops. So me and him watched. So important question. Did you, knowing that Prince was playing the halftime show, go in or be like, well, I'm injured, lads. There's no point in me being in the locker room. I, I might as well watch the greatest halftime show of all time. No question. We didn't even walk back with the team. We we stayed, me, <laughs> yeah. and, me and Mike stayed right out there and enjoyed. We said, well, at least we can't, we can't play in the game. At least we can see the concert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the best concert. And you got to see Prince. I, I remember having a little tear in my eye when Purple Rain came on because it started raining and everything. It and it like, rains. Yeah, it was crazy, man. Crazy moment. We talked earlier about your music career subsequent after leaving the the NFL music career. Have you always been a musician, or was that the moment where you were like, uh, I, I know what I want to do yeah. after uh, this? No, nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. I, I've always liked music. I've always loved music. But um, I just took advantage of the platform at the moment, you know. I knew we could, I couldn't help inside the locker room. So we just sat out and talked about Purple, watch Prince, put on a nice show. That's so funny because I know you mentioned when we were off air, you were talking about how much you like Jacoby Jones. He said during his halftime performance, he was just glued to the television in the toilet watching Beyonce. <laughs> so <laughs> That's how I like Jacoby. Yeah, that guy's a legend. And I mean, your career with the Bears, I, I've been doing research. I mean, you're, it's argued that you're, um, you know, one of the best Bears players of all time. Um, you know, definitely. I think at your position, it's hard to be, what's the word? Not a superstar, because you're basically there to almost help others look like stars. And I think going back to your first two snaps for Oklahoma, like I said, then they defined your career because I think you'd agree that, like you said, you're either getting the sack or helping someone else get a sack. And I think that's a very honorable position to do because you're in the trenches, you're getting smashed up every play. You know, you're helping others look good. As a fan, it's hard to watch sometimes. You look at the trenches, you can't really see it. it five, ten people having individual sumo matches. It's hard to sort of nail down what's happening. Sumo match. And you're kind of just watching the quarterback. But you're there, you know, in the middle of it, you know, causing a ruckus. And I think only defensive linemen or centers and guards can really understand how much of an impact you made in the game when you were playing. Um, unless you're a true fan like, like Bears have done subsequently historically looking at the input you did. 
Um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, on, on how your career went with Chicago? I don't really want to talk about Indianapolis and San Diego because, I mean, I would say you're a bear, bear for life in terms of the fan base. Yeah. So what was your thoughts looking back saying you didn't want to go initially when you left? No, I, I didn't want to go because I didn't really know much about it. I just knew it was cold up there, Michael Jordan and, and different stuff. But I ended up loving that city, man. I, I grew so much in that city. Um, I, I really feel like my adulthood started in Chicago, learning how to become a man, do things on my own. Um, the city was great. I, now, looking at it on hindsight, back out of that hindsight, I would never take it back, man. It was, it was a great opportunity. The city is amazing. Uh, if I could do it all over again, I feel like God put me in the best place, best place possible. With Lovey Smith being there, uh, I enjoyed every bit of it. And my my teammates, you couldn't ask for a better locker room in the league. Yeah, you know, from going around traveling different teams, I, that was the best by far locker room I've ever been in. Um, and I, I've got to ask because during the period that you were there, I think the quarterbacks were Rex Grossman and Jay Cutler. Um, not the players in hindsight one would pick to run the Chicago offense. Maybe today, you know, given the options they have. Yeah, sure. But then I think, you know, looking back, it's kind of like one of the criticisms that could be leveled of that Chicago team in general of you guys at the time wouldn't be aimed at the defense, would be aimed at some of the miscues that were made on offense by the people that were under center. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Either we can't. I, I don't... I don't want to blame nobody, bro. I didn't care. I didn't. You can do it now, no, Tommy. Come on, it's now. I, but I never gave a. I've never in the world. I'm gonna be honest. With you, I've never gave a crap what my offense did. <laughs> Ever. That wasn't my responsibility. I couldn't control nothing that I couldn't. I don't speak in that space either. Like, well, he should have, could have, would have, do, 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 do. We didn't do it. It's nothing to talk about. Like you know, so that's fine. I was trying to, I was trying to click. No, you there I, I, it's all good. I just, I, I love Rex. Uh, Jay Cutler, not my most favorite person, but he could see, he could sling that ball too. But it was, it was just, I, I just wondered sometimes what it would have been like to just have a, uh, a Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers or somebody that you knew you could get him uh, a certain amount of snaps where you could get rested in. Like it was like I could never sit down some some games because as soon as you get in the drink, defense up, turnover. Like God, wait. One year Cutler came, I didn't even sit down. I just stood up on the side. <laughs> I said, I'm not even about to sit down, bro. This guy about to put us right back out here. But yeah, man, we had a good time. Just so you know, he was also on the throwbacks, but we utilized him mainly as a holder. Got you. Um, Got you. <laughs> I think you've said everything that needed to be said there. I think you kind of, we're not going to talk about it, but yeah, exactly. Everything you've said is correct. Um, so this show and the reason that we do this show is that we like to interview people to separate the player from the person because so much as fans, we watch you guys compete and we see you as superhumans that uh, are, you know, there for our entertainment. Um, and, you know, we love you when you're doing well, but we don't care about when you're not, you know, and that's, I mean, part and parcel of all professional sports, I think. But something we try and do is get people on and talk to them so that fans can see them on a human level. And... I want to move to a part of the show that's probably going to be less fun than the previous part, but it is important nonetheless because 
Tommy has undergone probably one of the greatest tragedies that any person can befall, which is um, his wife of 41 days uh, passed away suddenly during a routine outpatient procedure from a brain aneurysm whilst you're at the San Diego Chargers. Now, you guys, from what I understand, were planning to have a big celebration. Uh, I guess you you kind of eloped in San Diego after a, after a game. You 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 got the got the idea that why waste any time? Let's get married. Funny that you did that. Me and my wife did the same thing and planned a celebration for the summer. Tommy then went away to see, I believe, his sister down in Texas. And while he was away, he found out that Ashley had stopped breathing. Um. Now, I can't imagine what that must have been like. And I don't even know what my question is. But I think it's important to mention because from what I understand, it's an event that has entirely shaped you as a person, more so than you ever realized it could have done. Yeah. Um, my wife passed, like you said, of a routine brain aneurysm. Um, my story's all over. Uh, you go to TommyHarris.com and check out all the different stories I've done. But... um. Uh, I, that's the reason, the main reason why I didn't come back. I was, I was not inspired to play football after that. Mentally, I was checked out and I uh, had my children there and I had to weigh uh, all the money I thought I had that could not save my wife. Uh, I had to say that it was more than enough to take care of my children and not go back and get injured and leave them with, you know, just one parent that's paralyzed. Or, it was no longer an option. So. I had to take what I made from the league and uh, just try to do the best with it. I was no longer going back because I mentally couldn't withstand it. So um, yeah, it was just a, a tough period of my life. And after that, I buried a daughter after that that I don't talk about. So it was just back-to-back -back loss. Then I just buried my father in August. So I have a book coming out called Endure. And it's, it's, it's calling uh, Endure Playing Through Life's Hardest Hits. And it's just teaching the reality of life is that we can't quite pick it. Uh, there's a writer called, uh, a writer that I love, an author named Mark Babison, and he says this quote that you can never always sometimes tell why. And, and that just pretty much sums up life for me, that you, you, you have to learn to be grateful for what you have and make the best of what you have and not being cliche-ish, but to really practice that uh, motto every day uh, brings encouragement to me, brings inspiration to me to just find gratitude and gratefulness for whatever you have, because you can never always sometimes tell why things happen, why two plus two doesn't equal four, why I do the best with my kids, but they still turn out this way. Why'd I do my best in my marriage or my relationship, but someone still cheated, why I work my butt up at work and I still got fired. Just different scenarios that come in each one's life that if we could continue to just know that it won't be the last one, that things come, things happen, but we have to have a mindset to endure these things, to see them through. Because like today, it's only Thursday and Friday have its own stuff of its own. So it's just being able to really find gratitude and being grateful moment by moment for what God provides. Yeah. I mean, I... In the course of doing this show, we've talked to a lot of people that have gone through a lot of different hardships. I would say none anywhere near what you have mentioned. Um, but the overriding um, message that they give is that I 
I'm glad it happened in a weird way because it's helped me understand who I am and grow as a person. And if I hadn't had the hardship, if I'd only had success, I would have only have known myself on a certain level. Yeah. Um, and I think that you're the, the case where that is the most clear because, I mean, like you said, you lost a child four years later to sudden infant death syndrome, which I think is one of the most heinous conditions that exist. And like, I know that you're a big believer and in England, there's a guy called Stephen Fry, who's a well-known atheist. And someone asked him if you could speak to God, what would you say? And, and he said, how dare you give children bone cancer? <laughs> and you can see where he's coming from. I don't. But then you've got people on your side, like you, and I listened to your testimonial on Super Bowl on the Super Bowl Sunday, and um, it's incredible to listen to because you basically say that it was it's all there to help you um, learn who you are um, and and to learn about your relationship with God, with the Creator, you know, with the ultimate. I call whatever you name your higher power. I call mine Jesus Christ, God, but it's it's what is allowing us to breathe right now or to come up with opinions or to to have this oxygen that moves from out of space into this space and allows us to come with soliloquies and sentences and what is that thing so uh, it takes actually more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a believer because you have to spend more of your time proving what the creator does in front of you is not what the creator does, <laughs> which is, uh, I, I'd rather just believe that God knows what he's doing way more than I could ever understand. And I never picked, like, to ask God, why doesn't, why do you give kids bone cancer? Like, who are you to ask that question? And how privileged do you have to be to say that you can say what's wrong or right when you didn't create any of it? So I think you just have to find a place to be more grateful with what you have. Because we all are, as a human, we live in a privileged society that if the, no one's ever pleased, no one's ever mm. happy enough, oh, the sun is too hot outside. Oh, it's cold. I can't <laughs> wait till it's hot outside. Oh, it's too, like, everyone's always complaining. And I realized that, yeah, when, that when you find... Uh, a model in your life to be grateful and to truly endure. I see so many hurtful things that happen in life, but I also see a lot of amazing and great things that happen in life. But it seems like we only take our highlighter out on bad things. So it's like I try to keep my focus on the beyond what's going on with Tommy Harris. The trees are now bringing leaves out that was just desolate a couple months ago. The grass is starting to grow. The bugs are back out. The sun is moving. The clouds are sitting a certain way. I got a helicopter flying over. It's just being present in the moment that life is happening with or without you. It's just like the injury. The biggest thing in the injury I learned playing against the Vikings is that I thought when I got hurt that day, I used to watch you guys get hurt and carted off. But I say, the day I get hurt and carted off like this, the game going to shut down. <laughs> like, they're not going to keep playing if I'm leaving. Man, I got on that cart and the game just moved. They moved the game off. Well, I mean, that is exactly what I was just about to mention, is that in the NFL and also in life, we are not prepared for the end. And there's a human condition that 
is a, a symptom of the modern times, which is that we don't talk about death enough. We don't talk about losing people enough. We don't embrace that part of life, which always was embraced for centuries and millennia before this was a reality of life. But now we want to be supermen and we want to live forever. And I think that that also happens in the NFL is players don't think about that time when it all gets taken away. What are you going to do after that? How are you going to endure that moment that you're not thinking about now that no one wants to talk about, but is going to happen? Yeah. My father taught me, um, rest in peace, to always keep the end in mind. You know, and when you keep the end in mind, that's really gratefulness. That's gratitude. Because if more people were, if more people woke up and said, this might be my last day today, I think they will handle themselves better and handle relationships and other people better, knowing that this might be my last time I see them today. This might be, but no one ever yeah. thinks about that until they hear the news that, man, so-and-so passed and I could have said and do. Say what you need to say. That's why I love that song. Say what you need to say, man. While you got time right now, like, man, heal people, love on one another, take care of other people, and say nay no to the BS. But that's all. You don't got time for all that other stuff. That's a very true message that everyone should take. I, I learned that message. I learned that lesson, actually. Luckily, I learned it very young because when I was, when my mom was dropping me off to kindergarten, I was angry with her for some reason and, and stormed off and said, I hate you. And I'll never forget, she caught me and said, I'm going to leave now. And you never know what could happen between now and when you think you're going to see me again. Do you really want the last words you ever say to me if I get hit by a car to be, I hate you? And so from that moment on, from the age of five till now, any time I, I'm, I finished speaking to my mum, I say, I love you. Because I don't know what could happen the second I put the phone down. Yes, and this morning, um, I was saying to you before, I kissed my wife like 50 times before I left because... I had read your story and I was like, I'm not going to take this for granted. I don't know what's going to happen. Hey, what you need I to say? get hit by a car. Yeah, I mean, but bro, you nailed it. And then I put on your music. That's right? So then I put on Grand Canyon. And if you haven't listened to this song and you've ever lost someone you loved, whether it be through them passing or through your relationship ending, put this song on and just listen to it. Because I was in floods of tears. Um, I've only ever cried twice in the whole time I've done NBL. One was with Roberto Aguayo when I was uh, looking into his backstory and the second was listening to this song. And for me, it, it, I told you before, it feels like everyone I've ever lost grabbed my heart and just started wringing the tears out of it. And I'd protected myself from that pain, but sometimes it just comes yes, out. Sir. And that song for me was the key to unlocking a lot of that. Yes, and I thank you for it. No, thank you, bro. Thank you. And I think without... Anything more to say, to be honest, we're going to wrap that episode because I think Tommy said it all, is that all good things, you know, do come to an end sometimes. And that's the reality of life. And it's about what you do. In the moment. That's it. That's it, bro. Thanks a lot for your time, man. I appreciate you. No, blessings, bro. Peace. That was the NVL show. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to it just as much as we enjoyed making it. If you want that vintage jersey just can't find, head to us on nationalvintageleague.com or if you want to follow us on social media, it's at National Vintage League on Instagram and at NVL Tweets on Twitter. So until next time, you take it easy. What's up, guys? You're watching NVL, not NFL. NVL, which is way better than NFL. Just ask me because I work for the NFL. I might get fired for saying that. <laughs>
But before the end of the episode, we've got a little surprise, which is that Hugh is actually going to make a little special guest appearance by pre-recorded message. That is the lamest, the amount of <laughs> gravitas to give to all the other guests, and you give me that. <laughs> Do it again. Do it well, again and pretend I'm Ryan Lee. Right, but we will have just talked about, like, a devastating family tragedy with Tommy okay, Harris. Okay, okay, and okay. Well, we'll be setting the, the scene that... You know, the, 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 the show is ending tragically and people are just going to have to deal with that. And so you're here to help balm that, that wound that we've just inflicted, literally just now, seconds ago, people okay. found out this is the end of the first series of the NVL show. Okay, cool. So you need to help them get through that. Right. Because, you know, imagine if we just left it like, oh, yeah, final episode, Chris, no Hugh, Tommy Harris makes everyone sad, but sort of inspired. And that's the end of the series. No, yeah. we needed to have a little bit of a hidden track where we can sort of come in and say, this is the deal. This is why we're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. OK, go on then. And so that's why you're here. Yeah. Um, well, we might as well just carry on at this point. I don't know if you realise, but the reason we got on Tommy, referencing the throwbacks, it was kind of like a, you know, nostalgic episode because this is going to be the last one. In the current series. If series one. Of series, series one. one, yeah. The last, it's going to be the last one of series one. And I think it's quite, yeah, we hid this bit at the end because no one, everyone who's not an out-and-out uh, NVLer who fly, who doesn't fly the NVL flag outside the front door would have stopped listening by now by the pure amount of in-jokes so it's just us. Everyone else has left. The bar is empty at the end of the night. And yeah, um, I think we just had such a, just a ridiculous year. Um, you know, like we, we started doing this stupid show because it was the emergency broadcast and um, lockdown. Yeah, because of lockdown. And we were scared. We wanted to give people content. We didn't know what was happening. Yeah. We were in the bunkler. Only the bunkler at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, when I was up in Manchester. I was thinking about that the other day. I had people who have come down to the warehouse, and that's a nice segue because, you know, you, you can come down to the warehouse soon. But when I was in Manchester, we were in the bunkler, which is a tiny little shoebox room, which now um, is Willie's domain. And then we moved into the museum. And now we've moved into the lounge. I, I don't know how you'd call the... Well, now it's the storeroom for all the other US sports stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what we... I think need to make clear is that everyone that's listening now is someone that's probably helped us get to where we are today. Yeah. yeah. All these things that have happened this year, uh, Channel 5, F.A. Abada, um, Ryan Leaf, the list is literally endless. And um, we, we, we can't say, because we, we had a meeting, we put on the Discord that we had a meeting the other day, we can't say what that is, but it felt like me and Chris, um, we got to that point and we were like, we have been cycling so hard on this bike and that feels like um a great time to, to just step back a little bit and recharge so that next season or in a couple of months time we can come out of the blocks again with season two and we can do next season even better than we did this season we're not going anywhere um no. we're just going to take the time to focus on the shop um hibernate a little bit and then um well not hibernate come out in, into summer which well, is yeah, what real life should be doing now so yeah. that's why it's also kind of coincidentally timed it perfectly to end with almost the the end of uk lockdown and i think now it's time for us to have a bit of a summer holiday to be honest yeah just the folks on the shop and throw the throw open the doors um and yes you know, the, the mead garden fun not sad happy yes let's talk about that because you can now come down 
to the warehouse. Obviously, DM us in advance because we don't want to break COVID laws. But in theory, warehouse is now open. Um, you can buy something online and uh, order pickup in store. Uh, that's absolutely fine now. And uh, the mead distillery that we share a unit with called Gosnells are opening a Friday night and Saturday mead garden uh, out front where you can book a table, uh, drink some mead. And while you're there, um, come and check out the warehouse. Yeah, so it's just um, Saturday summers with National Vintage League is is the next chapter as we recharge and reset. So yeah, I think that's that's the, the positive note we'll end on is that um, this is the last episode uh, in National Vintage League, the NBL show season one. Looking forward to season two. Looking forward to throwing the doors open in summer. We can meet you all in person. And I guess it's just a huge thank you to you guys, to the ones who are listening to us prattle on every Thursday since last year. We haven't missed a a Thursday. We have not missed a Thursday in a year, All which right. is ridiculous. I remember when we started, we were like, oh, what are we going to talk about this week? What are we going to talk about this week? And now by the end of the year, we've got F.A. Bader and Ryan Leaf and things are really, really started to move. It's a body of work that we can be proud of. Uh, it's going to get better. Uh, we're going to make it better. There is no stopping us. Um, but for right now, there is sort of stopping us. I'm sorry if, if you're upset. Um, please take heart in the sun and being able to go and see your friends and drinking outside again. And please come and find us. And I guess we'll leave it to Tommy Harris to sing us out with Grand Canyon, which is now one of my favorite songs. Yeah. And I think it's kind of fitting. Have a great summer. If I reached out to touch you right now Would you bite off my finger? Would you give me the honey? Only the finger If you're not really beautiful clown walking that wire all the way across the grave